Emily, you're Minister of Children and Students here at Hope Ankeny, and you're, you're probably wondering why I started with the credits and not some fun clip. I'll get to that in just a minute, but first I want to say Happy Mother's Day. Uh, if you are here as part of a weekend celebrating the women in your life who have blessed you, we're so glad you're here. This is going to be fun. And if you happen to be one of those people who as soon as you hear us keep talking about Mother's Day, your heart kind of sinks a little because mothering has some hurt for you and you're kind of here against your best judgment, well, I want you to know I'm glad you're here too. I see you. And it is complicated. These couple of weekends, this time of year, where we talk about the parenting relationship it's loaded. It's loaded. Because the relationship between parent and child, I mean, that is the foundational relationship of our earthly lives. When it goes well, when kids grow up feeling safe and loved and, and pointed to Jesus, man, we want to invent holidays and order bouquets. But when that relationship is absent or confusing or outright abusive, that leaves some really deep wounds, wounds that, that last throughout a lifetime. That relationship, it's the starting point for each of us of our identity, who we think we are, and our worth, whether or not we matter. So, of course, that relationship is a big deal and worth talking about. Uh, the credits that you saw were from a series on Netflix called Anne with an E. And it's a series my family and I enjoyed watching over the last few years. Um, it's based on the Anne of Green Gables books. So, if you know those books, you know it kind of romanticizes adoption in a kind of unrealistic way. But we loved it because it also has this poignant portrayal of what the parent-child relationship really means, what it's all about, and the impact that it makes. So I'm going to show you a clip, and just to set it up for you, in case you're not familiar with the whole saga, uh, Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert are siblings who have spent their adult lives farming the family farm. And now as they're starting to get a little older, they realize there's, there's no one coming up behind them to help them leave the farm to. And so they decide to take in an orphan. They're surprised, though, when they're sent a girl instead of a boy. But sure enough, Anne Shirley just charms them with her imagination and her vocabulary, her vivacity. And so the scene you're about to see, it's Marilla and Anne, and they are sharing some of their background with each other. And it's quite different what each of them experienced. So pay attention as, as they talk to each other about how that has impacted each of them. Let's take a look. Is there a reason why Green Gables is so secluded? Reason? My family wasn't inclined toward idle chatter. Do you miss your parents terribly? They lived good Christian lives. We can't begrudge God for bringing them home. I suppose not. You suppose not? 
Why is it you find yourself an orphan? Well, it happened when I was an infant. I'd like to know the circumstances, if you've a mind to tell them. My parents were Walter and Bertha Shirley. They were newlyweds, and they were poor as church mice. They died of a fever when I was three months old, so I've been earning my keep for as long as I can remember. And I suppose I was lucky that I was placed out instead of staying in the asylum. I never understood it. If children are such a burden, then why do people have so many of them? Nevertheless, it's a shame I'll never have the opportunity. What do you mean? To be one. Hmm. It just cuts right to the quick of what Mother's Day is all about, doesn't it? Every kid should be able to be a child, right? But it's just a fact. Anne is telling the truth. Raising kids is hard. And all throughout Scripture, God paints this picture for how families are supposed to work, where they're, where they're knit together with one another, and kids grow up safe and nurtured and shown the ways of the Lord. And it's a beautiful ideal that we want everyone to get to be a part of. But the fact of life is that much of the time, maybe even most of the time, we fall way short of it. And I want you to know, I'm not going to shy away from the hard stuff. But I also want you to know that I have hope. I have hope for all of the kids that are in your families being raised right now. I have hope for the kids that are part of this church family that we all get to be a part of helping raise and see grow. And I have hope for the kids in our community and around us that we're going to make an impact that's going to make a difference for them too. And you know what else? I have hope for every one of us who bears wounds that others can't see. Our story's not over. The best is always yet to come. I don't think it's an accident that you're here. We say it at the top of every service, and I mean it. You are here today for a reason. And I trust and believe that I am here today for a reason, too. Part of how I know that is because when I look back over my life, I can see all of these miracles, all of these ways that God sent the mother I needed when I needed it to get me through. Now, I'll share a little more about that in a, a little bit here. But first, let's circle back to why I started with the credits and not the clip about Anne of Green Gables. So if you have been doing with us the whole Holy Bible in a year, you have been reading through Old and New Testament, and I hope you've been discovering that there are some really fascinating stories along the way. I mean, if you grew up in kids programming, you probably got the headliners, right? The main events, Moses and David and Peter walking on the water, Good chance you heard about Jonah, because that goes really well with a lot of Vacation Bible School themes. But it's all these fascinating side stories, isn't it? I mean, that's where you find out about talking donkeys, 
and mighty kings who take a bathroom break and get caught in a cave with their pants down. Yeah, it's in there, folks. You can look it up. You'll find it. But if, in, if you've been reading along these last couple of weeks, we've been in Chronicles. And so if you've been doing that, then you, like me, have been slogging through long lists of names and families. And Bible scholars have mined that information to find all kinds of interesting things that inform our reading of Scripture, our understanding of God. But for me, reading this lately... There is something that it has brought to mind to me. Movie credits. The long list of names that nobody goes to the theater to read the credits. I mean, they do toy with us every now and then, right? By throwing an entertaining scene in there. The Chronicler does that too. But part of why it's entertaining is because it breaks in to a long, boring list of names. But credits, I mean, there's a little more to it than that, right? Anybody here ever been listed, gotten a credit in a movie? Yeah, so far nobody has. It's it's special, isn't it? It's something different. Well, the the closest that I've come was uh, a good friend of mine, my freshman year in college. Uh, Her name is Debbie. She grew up in Sioux City, and in the 80s, she had the opportunity to be a part of that big Iowa movie. Not Field of Dreams. Children of the Corn. (laughs) Go figure. So, of course, we were all excited about that. So we went to Blockbuster and rented the video. And we fast-forwarded through looking for scenes with a little red-haired, pigtailed girl. Because believe it or not, just like Anne of Green Gables, my friend Debbie had red hair and pigtails in that movie. Uh, There are no coincidences today. No accidents. So we fast-forwarded through, and there's actually a scene where Debbie had a speaking part. The, The kids were, like, rushing out of the scene, and she, like, hurried this other kid. And um, when they went back and edited the movie, they liked how it it fit. So they left it in. Debbie's voice is in Children of the Corn. But the thing that Debbie lamented was, she said they got it for free. It was a freebie. If they had told her to say that, she would have got a credit. Yeah, it's a big deal. That's the thing about credits. It's this endless list of names to us, but every single one of those names made a significant contribution to telling the story. And the reason why I think that that's interesting for today is because scripture in Scripture and, and also in the history of the church, a lot of times that's kind of how women show up. They're not the main event. They're not the headliner. They show up in these ways that aren't as obviously significant a lot of the time. Like if you're looking at the credits and you're trying to figure out what a key grip is. you got to look it up. It's not obvious. And there are two women in our story today who also play a significant role that's worth taking a look at. So the first of those is Rhoda, the servant girl. And she provides, it's almost like a slapstick moment. Because 
Peter has been arrested. The church is being persecuted. Some of the apostles have been killed. And he is scheduled to be executed the next day. But an angel comes to him in prison and leads him out. And he, he thinks he's seeing a vision. So when the angel leaves him, he's totally shocked. He's exposed on the street without his shackles. He's free. And so he runs to a place where I imagine he probably was hoping to get off the street and find some safety. This house where a bunch of believers are gathered praying for him. But Rhonda, she hears his voice outside the gate and she gets so excited that she runs inside to tell everybody, Peter's here, Peter's here. And you know how they respond? They question her sanity. They don't believe her. And it's interesting because that story has a mirror story in the Gospel of Luke at the end. Keeping in mind, Luke and Acts were written by the same person. When Jesus is resurrected, the women find out, and they go running to the disciples. Jesus is alive! And do you know what the, the disciples say to the women then? Your story sounds like nonsense. Isn't that interesting? Two times where there was good news and they just couldn't hear it. Maybe because of who told them? So, I mean, that's something for us to think about. Is there good news that we're missing out on because our ears are blocked? There's a voice that we just can't seem to listen to? Maybe because they're too young for us to take them seriously. Maybe they're too female. Maybe like Rhoda, they're a lower social class than us. Maybe they have an accent that's unfamiliar to us. What a shame if we miss the good news because it comes from a voice we just don't trust for no good reason. The apostles, the apostles are the stars of the show in Acts. They are launching the church. They are sharing the gospel fearlessly. But this servant girl, Rhoda, she also has good news to share. Good news. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. But Rhoda, with her comical excitement over Peter's, Peter's release, uh, he, she is one of two women in this story that I think have an interesting thread to pull. Uh, so Peter, he comes out of his trance to realize that he's been saved from Herod's sinister plan to execute him. And in verse 12, when he re realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Now, the mother of John Mark, this is the only time she's ever mentioned in Scripture. So this is just a throwaway line, right? It's just telling us where he went after he woke up. Obviously, I think there's more to it than that. Listen to what we find out about Mary from just this little reference. It says the house is hers. That's significant. Women didn't get to own houses that much. She must have been a widow. And the way the scene plays out, he was knocking on an outer gate. It's a fancy house. That means Mary has some value. She has some worth. She has some wealth. And 
the believers are gathered there praying. Mary is a church leader. She is the leader of a house church where she is allowing this persecuted church. People are being killed for believing what they believe. And she's inviting them into her living room. This Mary, wow, she has a vibrant, dedicated faith. How cool is that? And she's John Mark's mother. All right, well, who's John Mark? Well, throughout Acts in the New Testament, John Mark, he is not a leading actor. He's not like Paul and Barnabas and Peter, but he's definitely more than just a name in the credits. He's kind of like a supporting actor role because his thread is throughout the New Testament. First of all, Paul and Barnabas, when they go on their first missionary journey, they bring John Mark along. For reasons that the Bible doesn't say, John Mark leaves partway through the trip and heads back. But apparently, his presence on that trip was valuable because Barnabas, when Paul and Barnabas are getting ready for their next trip, Barnabas says, we need to bring John Mark along. Paul, on the other hand, Again, this tells me John Mark mattered to that first trip. He's still feeling stung that John Mark bailed on them. So he's like, I'm not going to rely on someone like John Mark who just bailed on us the last time. He can't come. And they both felt so strongly about this that they got into a heated argument and ended up parting ways. So Barnabas takes John Mark with him on his missionary trip to go plant some more churches. And Paul finds Silas, and Paul and Silas go on their trip. Now, historians believe that there are a couple more references to John Mark. Paul talks about him in his letters to Timothy and Philemon. And when he does, he references him as being a helpful fellow worker. He knows that he's a colleague. So we can assume that at some point they reconciled. And this John Mark, this supporting actor, he helped build the foundation of faith. He planted churches all across the Mediterranean. He was one of the apostles. He's a big deal. And who do you think was probably the most influential person in John Mark's life? his mother Mary, the woman who had such a vibrant faith that her son caught it and lived his life to spread it. One of the most important things that we can pass on to our children and every other child that comes within our influence is what Mary passed on to her son, John Mark, that they can trust what Christ has done for them. This picture is my daughter Estelle receiving her baptism candle from me back a month ago at Power Life. I've had the privilege of baptizing each of my three children. It is among the most significant things in my life to get to do that for each of my kids and to, and to celebrate all of the faith milestones that, as they have crossed them. 
But you, even if you weren't the one pouring the water over your child, remember the day of their baptism? Think about it. It was special, wasn't it? You were bringing them to receive God's promises. And you made some promises that day too. You promised to do things like bring them to church, teach them the scriptures, teach them how to pray, teach them the Ten Commandments. And that's not just like a checklist of things that we just check it off and it's done. There's a reason why we make those promises. Because when we are doing those things, we instill in our children their identity as children of God, chosen by him. We teach them that they can trust their creator, that they belong amongst God's faithful people. And you know what I think is kind of interesting? I think probably for most of us, at least many of us, we first heard the good news about Jesus from someone who mothered us. And it doesn't take long in our story, and with an E, for Matthew and Marilla to realize that they have a gift that they can offer Anne, one that can offer her identity and security that she's never known, that might change her life. Take a look. You may call me Marilla. Oh. May I call you Aunt Marilla? You may not. Oh, but I'd love to call you Aunt Marilla. It would make me seem as if I really belonged to you. Well, I am not your aunt, and I don't believe in calling people names that don't belong to them. Well, we could imagine you're my aunt. I couldn't. Do you never imagine things are different than they are? I do not. Oh, Marilla, how much you miss. Well, speaking of names, We'd like you to sign this and take ours, if the idea appeals to you. I've got the pen. It's all ready for you. This is your family Bible. You want me to be a Cuthbert? A, a real Cuthbert? We do. We want our name to belong to you. I'm going to belong. We hope you like the sound of Anne Shirley Cuthbert. Anne? I do. I, I do very much. But I just sign. That's it. Of course. What's the matter? Well, seems a little perfunctory, don't you think? Perfunctory? Well, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we hold hands over a running stream and, and pledge ourselves to each other as Cuthbert's forever? Or break our fingers and mingle our blood as a symbol of our lasting devotion? Well, surely there needs to be a ceremony of, of some kind in honor of such an auspicious moment. As someone who has never belonged to anyone before, I believe that this is a matter of much solemnity. Don't you? What say you, Marilla? Well, I've got some raspberry cordial in the pantry. Perhaps we could all have a small glass to celebrate without any danger to anyone. Oh, Miss Cuthbert. Thank you, Marilla. That would do nicely. Well then, the Cuthberts. The Cuthberts. And the Shirley Cuthberts. 
<laughs> we all have an inheritance to offer the children in our lives that is so much more even than a name and raspberry cordial. We get to teach our children that they can trust that they are chosen by the God of the universe to be his forever. We get to teach and tell our children that they are truly and deeply loved, not just by us with our failing, frail human love, but by a God who loves them bigger and better than even we are capable of loving them. We get to teach our kids that no matter how many mistakes they make, no matter how big of mistakes they might ever make, it will never be too big because of what Jesus has done. God will never turn away from them. He will always love and forgive them. We get to teach them that they have hope for a life forever with God. But some of you, even as I say that, I know your hearts are sinking. Your kids have fallen away. Maybe you, you're sad because your relationship with them isn't what you want it to be. There's hope for you. There's hope for them. Keep praying for them. Like the believers that night your prayers can be answered. And whenever you get the opportunity, keep putting the word in their ear. Tell them over and over again, you are loved. You are forgiven. You received in your baptism the promise of life forever with God. And God doesn't lie. That is for your children, no matter where they're at right now. And you can also trust that you're not in this alone. Think about how Peter ran to John Mark's mom's house on a tumultuous night when he needed safety. He had somewhere to run even when it wasn't the house of his own mother. Because it's just a fact sometimes, as important as parents are, as important as mothers are, things don't always go according to plan. Sometimes relationships get disrupted or, or broken. Sometimes sin or even death stands between a parent and their child. Sometimes that person who was supposed to make you feel safe and loved and point you to Jesus didn't do it. And sometimes those arms that you longed to hold a child and deliver those promises to them are still empty. It is my prayer that for every Anne Shirley, there is a John Mark's mom for them to run to. And for every Marilla Cuthbert with empty arms, that they would find a child to embrace. Because mothering is bigger than custody 
or biology. And I know some of you know that because you're foster or adoptive parents, and I hope that you'll forgive me for using Anne with an E, because if you've been with someone who has trauma, you know that very few of them internalize it by learning more vocabulary. I see you. I see you. More important than that, God sees you. And kids, I pray for every one of you that you know what it is to feel safe and loved. I want that for all of you. Because I'll be honest, I'm, I'm one of those people, I, I struggled with what to preach this weekend. Because I have a less than ideal relationship with my mother. And I could shake my fists about that. Sometimes I just want to pound the table and say, why didn't I get what everybody else got? But that's not the whole story. Because when I stop and look around, what I see is how God provided for me. Sometimes for a short time, sometimes for a season, sometimes for years and years. It seems like God always sent someone in my life to mother me just the way I needed it, when I needed it. And I don't know who I'd be without that. So I want to tell you about a couple of those women. And one of them, uh, when, I was, when, I, when I'd finished fourth grade, uh, we were switching school districts. So they did like all the testing and stuff, and they concluded that academically, I was actually ready for sixth grade. But socially, I was a disaster. And so... Mary M. Murrell agreed to put me in her fifth grade class and take me under her wing. And she did these incredible things for me that some of them I just, I couldn't even realize at the time. I was just a fifth grader who was socially stunted. But she sat me next to, like my assigned seat was always next to one of the chatty kids. She just forced me to socialize. And she would say kind things about me in front of the other kids. And the thing that I remember most clearly is that for the first time in a long time in her class, I didn't feel invisible. And I even made some friends. In my junior year in high school, it was in the local paper that I was going to be Mrs. Webb in the high school production of Our Town. And she must have seen it because she had a box of a dozen long stem roses delivered to the high school to congratulate me. She put a little note in there to break a leg. And then on the, on the back of the note, I'm thinking maybe it was because she's a fifth grade teacher, but maybe it's because she remembered my stunted social skills. She explained what that meant. <laughs> Told me she didn't actually want me to break my leg. I lost track of her, but I think of her all the time. My fifth grade teacher, Mary M. Murrow, she mothered me out of my shell. And later on in life, someone else that came into my life was Mary Ann McManus. She was my student teaching supervisor. And when I got when I got put with her, the rumor was that I should be super nervous 
because she was really hard on prospective teachers. And the rumors were true. She was very stern and wiry, and even my cooperating teacher was afraid of her. She had no problem holding me accountable for my mistakes, and she helped me grow as a teacher. But the other thing she did is she called out my gifts in me. She told me, you are good at teaching. You're really good at connecting with students. You have a bigger capacity than you think. She cast a vision for me that was way bigger than what I thought I could do. And somehow she even noticed that I was on my own. So when I was getting a little more serious with this guy I was dating, she insisted that I make a coffee date for the three of us so that she could vet him and decide whether or not he was worth my time. Lucky for Brian, he passed. <laughs> and she stayed in my life. She cheered for us as we bought our first house, when we started our family. When I experienced my call to ministry, she encouraged me and told me what a blessing that was going to be in kids' lives. She even wrote me letters from the nursing home toward the end of her life, lamenting how poor her penmanship now was and telling me how beautiful my children were. Mary Ann McManus, my student teaching supervisor, mothered me across the threshold into adulthood, just when I needed it. And you know what? I didn't realize when I sat down to tell these stories, can you believe this? They're both Marys, just like John Mark's mom. I tell you, there are no coincidences today, folks. And they are just two of so many examples of the people God sent to mother me just when I needed it. There's probably some of you in this room right now. I don't even dare look. I'll totally lose it. But that's what I think Mother's Day can be good for. It can be a really good day to just take a step back and marvel at the way that God has provided for each of us. Because I don't know what dark storms you have come through, but you made it. We are all here today to hear the amazing stories of what God has done and to marvel at the way that God uses us, sinful, broken human people, to draw others into his enormous love and grace. And I think it's really interesting, you know, parenting is hard and I don't know, you're probably planning on going to a really nice lunch buffet after this. But aside from that, it can be pretty thankless. And so we get tired. We make mistakes. We need help. We all need the hope and the healing that comes in the promise of forgiveness that our Savior has earned for us. And I think it's interesting that Marilla Cuthbert, even though she's new to this parenting gig, that her stable Christian parents instilled in her a hope of the gospel. Take a look at how she's living that out for Anne. Will you forgive me? 
I am very sorry, Anne. When the brooch went missing, I was quick to judge. But what's worse is that I pushed you to fib. What else were you to do? Makes me shudder to think of it. And of course, I know now that you were telling the truth. You are a truthful girl, Anne, even now. And that is an admirable quality. This was my fault. And all that you went through because of it. It's a wonder you came back to Green Gables at all. If you could find it in your heart to believe me and forgive me, then we can start anew. Isn't it just an absolute gift that our mistakes don't have to be our shame forever? We don't have to hide it behind a wall of pride or authority over our children. We can confess it and be forgiven over and over again because of what Christ has done for us. We can even confess and be forgiven by our kids. Do you know what happens when you do that? Your kids see a living example of the humility and reconciliation that Christ has bought for us. Some of us really need to hear this today, so I'm just going to ask you to look up here and let me tell you. Jesus has shown us that we have a God who loves us. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your children's lives because he loves you. Let me pray for you. Lord, for those who are celebrating beautiful, healthy, mothering relationships in their lives, Lord, we praise you. We are so grateful for the way that women in our lives have mothered us and Lord, for those who bear the ache of sin and brokenness, whether it's our own or someone else's or just the way that things happen in this old world, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon them now, calling them to confess their sorrow and their sin and trusting that you will restore each of us to hope 
and joy. Lord, bless our families and our loved ones that your grace and peace will take root and flourish in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.